Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. I have a new guest on. Her name is Stacy. Now, her family's story goes back to the year of 2013 when she filed for divorce to protect her children from abuse. Now, she admits to being very naive and trusting at the time. However, her ex is an attorney formerly for CPS and current public defender. While she knew sometimes law enforcement and the courts might cut some slack for friends or family on things like minor traffic infractions, she never thought things would be so dirty when presented life and death matters of her children. So she trusted her high-paid attorney to do the right thing. Unfortunately, she literally served her right into um, the... uh, wrong path and the conflict of interest courts where her ex appears regularly and he's known by everyone she had to spend over two hundred fifty thousand dollars to protect her kids she's had five to six judges recused or disqualified and they ignore abuse at every turn her kids are still in his custody recently when explaining documented proof The judge gave custody to the parent who strangulated her daughter, and the kids complained he sexually abused them, and the cop said, that's moronic. How can he still be a judge? However, the next day, nothing from the police, despite knowing her children are failing to thrive, and the police always call to their father's house, and they leave the kids there. Now, Stacy has an excellent record. She doesn't smoke, doesn't drink. She's never been arrested, never found to abuse or neglect her own children. She is a medical health professional, and she's also both breadwinner of the family and was primary caretaker of the kids prior to the divorce. Somehow, make this make sense, other than this is a CPS cover-up sex abuser for him working for them. After her ex's role as attorney for Niagara County CPS in New York, they knowingly hired a sex offender for the same position. Attorney Nicholas D'Angelo is now indicted on 11 charges of rape, including kids in CPS custody. Now, the father has been indicated for child abuse, and still the courts won't rightfully return the kids to the mother's custody. And Stacy, I'm so glad you came on. You know, where are you at right now with this case? I'm very sorry you have gone and your children have gone through this. Yeah. So um, after I've been doing this for so many years, we're going on 10 years. Um, it's not funny what happens, but sometimes it's so nefarious. It's funny. Um, the judge before before the father was indicated for um, four findings of child abuse and neglect by CPS, the judge precluded me from filing anything in the court saying that I was filing meritless and frivolous litigation. And in July of 2022, I filed an emergency order to show cause that my kids were in imminent danger. And the judge with his snarky attitude sent put a letter to my um, order to show cause that he's not entertaining it because shame on you, you're precluded from filing in the court. So my um, petition for emergency custody sat. And of course, that was the substance of 
what the uh, two of the four indications were with Erie County CPS in New York. Um, so clearly the evidence was there. The judge should have done something, but he was more interested in being spiteful and retaliating towards me than to do the right thing. Even when I presented this judge, Frank Sedita, with the um, Erie County CPS indication, his comment was, well, that's not that bad. At that time, he only knew of the educational neglect, but it was also educational neglect, medical neglect, and two findings of inadequate guardianship. And um, so um, I filed a motion to disqualify Judge Frank Sedita for cause, and I filed a motion to vacate the order that precludes me from finding uh, from filing since there is these findings of abuse, bona fide abuse, showing that I'm not meritless or frivolous. And, um, and there was another thing that happened that also kind of exonerated me. And Judge Sedita deleted all of my documents from the official court record. Uh-huh. So that's where we're at. Yeah. So, um, you know, eight, if anyone wants to look up 18 USC 2071 and your state penal code, I think it's 175.20, it's a crime to um, omit things from the official court record. And it's also fraud by concealment. Mm-hmm. So um, I am trying to do a, an emergent interlocutory appeal to get those motions heard and have them heard in an unbiased courtroom um, with a different venue because it's conflict of interest for a judge to determine merit on his own motion seeking his own disqualification. So um, that's where I'm at. Um, the, the abuse is, you know, substantiated by a government authority, not just one finding of abuse, four. And um, they're still treating me like I'm the reprobate in the situation. And, um, uh, you know, uh, so it's proven by definition that I'm a domestic violence victim in court to protect my children. And I've faced such adversity. Um, the other thing that happened recently, a lot of people know about this because, again, you have to laugh a little bit at this because if you don't laugh at some things, you cry. Mm-hmm. Um, the judge before Judge Sedita told me to shut your mouth. And um, he put me in contempt of court and fined me $1,000. And all I said was, is that's unconstitutional. And I have important things to say to the record. And he fined me $1,000 when I was appearing to protect my kids from abuse. And I appealed that and I won on the appeal. So even even though I, you know, exonerated myself from being some contumacious person, litigant, Mm -hmm. and meritless and frivolous litigant, um, I'm still being treated like I'm some reprobate, even though I exonerated myself and have substantiated that this is bona fide abuse that I'm trying to protect my children from. So um, that's where I'm at right now. And um, it is, it, 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 I've been through this so long, it kind of makes me chuckle inside because some of their behaviors are so childish and nefarious. Oh, yes. Well, they're sociopaths. That's what yeah, we're it is. with. Yeah, it, it is sociopathic to um, unload on me. It should have been humbling to them that they were accusing me of being some false alleger or not believing me all this time. And then they get egg in their face with four indications by the father. And instead of being humbled, 
they just attack me more. Do you wonder why, why are they protecting him? Well, I, you have to remember I'm a physician assistant and um, when you're in the medical field, and you're confronted with a situation like this in your life, the first thing you do is you hit the research. And um, when this was all happening to me at first, um, I, you know, I was like, my ex isn't that like successful of an attorney. He's not that prominent. Why are they all falling on the sword for him? Mm -hmm. And um, it didn't really hit me until the guy after him, they knowingly hired as a sex offender. And um, and they knowingly hired him as a sex offender. Like when he was 16 or 17, he violently raped a 14-year-old girl in a um, school hallway. And um, it's still public information. You can Google the story. You said his name. People can look it up. And um, the only reason he didn't have to register as a sex offender is because he took a plea deal. So after they covered up my ex and my kids disclosing abuse and the nature in which they covered him up, I'm, I'm fully aware. I've seen the documents. Um, and then seeing that they knowingly hired a sex offender um, and then stumbling upon uh, U.S. Department of State um, uh, audit on human trafficking in the world um in the in the reports dating in the u.s that most child sex trafficking occurs through the foster care system um i'm sure all your listeners can put two and two together mm -hmm. that is what's happening pathetic yeah they won't do the right thing and they make you look out to be the bad guy and uh I mean, yeah. I can I, I can identify with that because a lot of people can, because when you're representing yourself and then they start calling you vexatious and litigious and you're filing all these frivolous motions, I've heard it all. Yeah. Like I said, the tactics are this are all similar. Once you know the playbook, you can actually predict what they're going to do next because they all kind of do the same tactics. We all have like our own personal Oh, you can't hear me? No. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. What, what were you saying? Uh, I was just saying that their tactics are very similar across the board once you learn them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a common pattern. They all do the same thing. And what would you advise someone as a pro se going into this, trying to fight right. for their kids? It's... <sighs> Few few things. Um, I don't care if you're pro se or if you have an attorney. Um, my comparison is walking into a pawn shop. Uh, you have to know the law, just like you have to be educated about whatever you want to sell at a pawn shop. Because if you don't know what you have, you're going to get $5 for your $50,000 piece. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you go into the courts and you don't learn the laws, you're going to get taken advantage of, including by your very own attorney. Mm -hmm. 
if you have a more routine case where there isn't so much conflict of interest or, um, you know, um, someone has the, you know, the, the political favoritism or something like that, um, you know, that, that's pretty sufficient, you know, to know the law and, and, and they'll probably follow the law more if you um, insist on it and show that you're, you're aware. Um, but if you're, the politically disadvantaged party, sometimes it is best to be pro se because um, in my case, my ship didn't start turning around in the tiny canal until um, until I started representing myself. Because when you're the politically disadvantaged litigant, um, they um, it'll be career suicide for an attorney to zealously advocate for you. Mm-hmm. So um, not everyone would I say that has to be pro se, but when you're going up against a large entity, a lot of times when you're going up against CPS, because they have the, the bottomless pockets, even if you're a multimillionaire, their pockets are always still deeper than yours. Uh, a lot of times it's better to learn to represent yourself because it's hard to find an attorney that will represent you zealously against such a large entity. Right. So it's always important to learn the law. And then the next thing, the next story that I kind of tell people about representing yourself and about uh, litigating in court in situations like this is um, it's like meeting a bear in the woods. And um, if you lay down and just be quiet, like a lot of attorneys tell you to do, you're going to get eaten by the bear. And if you run from the bear, you're going to get eaten. And you always know the bear is bigger than you. But if you start throwing rocks at it and you show the bear that you're going to put up a fight, the bear can still eat you, but he'll choose not to because it's easier to get food somewhere else from somebody that doesn't put up a fight. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's like in the courts. It's basically like meeting the bear. Right. I mean, in perseverance, and you've been very, uh, you just keep coming and coming after them. I think perseverance is a really big thing, too. Yeah. And you don't show the bear that you have fear because fear is one of the most inhibiting factors to getting your kids back, especially misguided fear. When people start planting fears in their mind because of other situations that happened, and then they start thinking everyone's against them. And then sometimes you can even become your own worst enemy when you start thinking everyone's against you. Mm -hmm. You need a strong support system when you're doing this as a pro se. I mean, I was lucky I had friends that were always there to listen. Right. And another thing was like, but they couldn't show up for court for me because they had to work. Right. So that's the other thing, too, is um, you, you're you busy learning the law, but a lot of your own friends may not be able to assist you in learning the law and so forth. Or So where you have to work learning the law, maybe they can do other things like help cook for you or, you know, help clean your house with you or take off some of those chores so you can spend more time um, learning the law and writing papers. Um, and um, and I also belong to Be Loud on Facebook, which mm-hmm. is kind of a self-help um, uh, site. And um, uh, locally in town, there's some people that are, you know, starting to, to spearhead some uh, self-help groups too. It's, it's very important. We all help each other. Right. When... I think one, one of the most important and most effective things that people can do 
and I'm actually pretty passionate about this, um, and you see these springing up all over the place, is starting up court watching groups. Mm -hmm. um, it was, this isn't, this wasn't my intelligence that came across this, but I did an interview on a Christian radio station with Linda Penn um, in Buffalo. And at the start of our radio interview, she read Luke 11. And um, Luke 11 is um, about Jesus Christ calling out um, corrupt lawyers and judges. Will ye experts of, um, uh, will, ye, will ye lawyers and experts of law? And um, Jesus's remedy to court corruption and corrupt lawyers is that which was heard in dark rooms will now be heard in daylight, and that which was whispered into the ears of inner rooms will now be proclaimed from the rooftops. And he said this to the many thousands of onlookers. And that's modern day court watching. Um, the more that people let our courts go unmonitored, the more the government is going to evolve into, in our court system, in, into a system of the government, by the government, and for the government. It's just like when the cat's away, the mice will play. Mm -hmm. So we really need to get our public into the courtrooms and start taking back that the government, that these judges are our employers and we're going there as taxpayers to monitor how our courts are performing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you have to remember right now, our judges are so outrageous and so bold. The real success to court watching is to start filing non-party witness affidavits to the case and serving them to the parties. That gives you, in effect, a trial by jury and a pseudo, I would say, and gets the public's opinion to the case because remember, the courts are by the people for the people. So, um, and it doesn't take much um legal knowledge to know that when a judge is trying to give custody to a stranger pedophile over a birth father who's had regular contact with his kids and the mom dies, it doesn't take any legal knowledge to know this is wrong mm -hmm. and to say something to that case, because that's a legit case that we're watching right now. A mom died, her ex-boyfriend who sexually abused the children snatched the kids upon her death and was not going to give the kids back to the birth father and judge Lavallo in Buffalo, New York only gave temporary custody to the birth father. Like this pedophile has standing and this pedophile had a three year order of protection that expired in June of 2021. And he used the mother's death as an opportunity to snatch the kids, his victims who were still in counseling because of his abuse. What was that judge's name? Judge Lavallo, L-O-V-O-L-L-O -L -L -O in Buffalo, New York, Erie County Courts. So yeah. he's awarded the father temporary custody, like uh, what for how long? <laughs> judge Lavallo is actually, sadly, a woman doing this to children. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. This is the part that also bothers me as well. I just don't get that. It's terrible. It's terrible. Uh, does she have kids of her own or not? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. I just know of her reputation and circumstances is this. Wow. 
because I have been on Zoom court watching, and I notice these judges, when they get tired of the pro se talking, the pro se will be in mid-sentence, and then they'll mute the pro se. <laughs> They're yeah, tired. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And and you have to be careful if you're a pro se person and that happens to you, as soon as they take you off mute, you have to speak to the record that you were on mute because there's going to be no record. How's the record supposed to know unless you say you were kicked off? So you would put that in the chat box? Well, I mean, usually if they put you on mute, they'll take you off at some point. You just got to, as soon as you're taken off mute, get it on the record. Um, but you could put it in the chat box. Whatever you can do to... Or do immediately an affidavit of fact right after and file it to your case. Affidavits are very, very powerful mm -hmm. and people underuse them because there is, you know, um, federal U.S. Supreme Court case law that an unrebuted, uncountered affidavit has to be accepted by the court as fact. Mm -hmm. So... You know, people underuse, underutilize the power of affidavits. And that's why it's love. That's why it's lovely as a court watcher, because um, right now, especially, um, you know, the parties are kind of caught off guard when a court water court watcher um, has the element of surprise and, and files a non-party witness affidavit to the case. And people forget to even consider rebuting our affidavit. You've got to get it on the record. Yeah, get on the record what you witnessed as a court watcher. And don't be afraid. Um, one of the cases we just did a very large um, court watcher affidavit to, um, the judge treated it very respectfully. That's interesting. It's really, it's, um, it's revolutionary. It, I mean... It really um, makes a tremendous impact on the public's input to cases. I'm glad we're having this discussion because a lot of people don't know of the affidavit of fact that they've got to fill out. You have to go to the notary, maybe pay five or 10 bucks, but it's got to be done. Right. It's super easy. I mean, I'm a notary myself. Um but, you know, there's notaries at every bank. Mm -hmm. There's notaries at every courthouse almost. You know, I can't say every because who knows. But, um, you know, the clerk's office, there's usually a notary there. Mm -hmm. There's even in my town a notary at the US U UPS store. Right. So. And also, if you belong to AAA, you can go to their notary and it's free. Right. Wow. I mean, this is so important. Because some people they'll see something go wrong that is not like a violation and they'll they'll fill out the judicial complaint and send that in. And then they'll get a Namby Pamby letter back. And that's why you need to do that affidavit of fact. Right. I think, you know, too, um, I've learned if you want to do a judicial complaint, um, and you have a very serious judicial complaint, um, it's better to file a motion to the appellate court, um, at least in New York State. But um, I don't know if this is the, 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 um, the schedule in other states, but 
at least in New York State, the appellate court is the true entity that determines judicial discipline. So this um, uh, Commission on Judicial Conduct is really just um, turfing the work over to somebody else so they don't have to do it all. So if you have a real serious judicial complaint, you're better off filing a motion to the appellate court, at least in New York State. That's interesting because every state's different. People have to look right. up information and make sure they're sending things to the right place. And, um, you know, where do you think your case will go from here? Well, I have this feeling um, when, when Judge Daniel Furlong told me to shut your mouth and um, find me $1,000 and placed me in contempt of court when I was literally appearing to protect my children, that backfired on him. And um, that's the thing. When, when sometimes when people get away with doing dirty, they don't know where to stop. And eventually they tip the uh, scales too far and they get themselves in trouble. And I kind of feel like Judge Sadita deleting my no two notices of appeal, a motion to disqualify him for cause, and my motion to vacate um, the order precluding me from filing. Um, I have a feeling this is going to backfire for him. Um, because now the, the, the father's abuse is, um, substantiated and, um, I'm being retaliated on. So I think this will backfire just like telling me to shut up did, but, um, that's all I can say right now is I think, and, um, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When is your next court date? How, I mean, like they drag things out constantly for months and months. Right. So my next court date is actually in family court because Judge Sadita kept on um, ignoring my emergency order to show cause. And then the indication came from CPS. So um, I filed in family court a temporary uh, restraining order. And again, this is a huge problem, at least in New York State. Um, so I was denied a temporary restraining order. And it's amazing because you hear so many people who are dealing with restraining orders for piddly things. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, he texted too many times. Oh, she texted too many times. She texted my family. And those people get restraining orders you can't get out of. They're not even temporary restraining orders anymore they're permanent because they're lasting thousand days for one person you know another person she's at a year and it was you know she texts the family members and you know and um and they keep extending them and extending them with no evidentiary hearing and um and that's what happened to elizabeth harding weinstein um her judge actually crossed out the expiration date put a new one on and as if anyone would write a temporary restraining order for 18 months, which is preposterous because that's not temporary. There's case law that says um, the definition of a temporary order is that it must have a brief duration to return to court 
and um, cannot have significant prejudice to any of the parties. So when a restraining order is for 18 months and it's used to steal millions of dollars of assets to take you away from your children and kick you out of your house, that's not a temporary restraining order by definition, Mm -hmm. even though they call it that. Yeah, what's happening to her is beyond a crime. Yes. I interviewed her, I think it was either January or February of this year. Yeah. It's just so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just I I wish I don't know, CNN or NBC would cover her story and bring this to light. Yeah. I um we in Buffalo, New York, we had a case where a woman was violently assaulted by her husband. We're talking at least 25 full swing blows to her head. He kicked her and there was a video that captured it all. He took pictures while he was beating her. And at the end, he tried to rape her. Hmm. And the police in Buffalo, New York said that's harassment. And then when they saw the video, they said, oh, the video's worse than we thought. So they made a lateral charge to misdemeanor assault. And oh so God. this man, this man got out of prison, no bail, right? Out of jail, misdemeanor, and murdered her. And she was so certain he was going to kill her at the time of her death. She was wearing a bulletproof vest. And this happened in front of her children. And I believe it, it's also said that it happened in front of a school bus. Oh, man. And they don't. And for that, he got a misdemeanor charge and was let out of jail. And he has a violent past. He was in prison before for kidnapping and threatening to kill a woman before. So you have that. And that's what let, is let out. But Elizabeth Harding Weinstein is kept she's still retained for six months now because she put pictures of her kids on the internet Mm -hmm. and what she also sent a birthday card or a card saying i love you to one of the kids she did that she put balloons on her son's car when he got accepted to duke university yeah yeah but but the violent murderer the you know assailant is allowed to go and kill I'm afraid all this is going to get worse with the way things are going. That's why it's so important to court watch. It's so important. And I try to appeal to religious communities now because, because of Luke 11, basically, but also I think it's harder for the judiciary to retaliate on religious organizations. Mm -hmm. Really? You're going to lock up a minister for watching your courtroom. Um, so um, I, I try to encourage when people are into trouble and they need court watchers, number one, to get their church involved or whatever large organization they may be member to. And number two, to file those non-party witness affidavits to the case. Very important. And that's where is the public 
we're at fault. Because anyone watching your show is in the know. Mm-hmm. And anyone who something like this happened within their family or their friend or they heard about it, they're in the know. And knowing and inaction is the same as condoning. Mm-hmm. And people need to get out. If you don't want to do court watching, some other way of protecting children in your community from trafficking, mm-hmm. from you know abuse in the courts, anything, any part that you can take if court watching doesn't appeal to you, it, it needs to start happening because uh, so many people are divided right now. But if you're a good person, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, you know, purple or green. If you're a good person, we all agree that child abuse is a bad deal mm-hmm. and it needs to stop. Most definitely. And um, there's that verse in the Bible. And forgive me, I can't remember if you do anything to my little ones, you'll have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown in the ocean. I used to know that verse and now I'm embarrassed. I can't remember it, you know, but it it's um, just, you know, people have to stand up for the right, do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a problem with the public, and, and it can't be tolerated. When I was going through my horrific experiences, um, it was so surreal um, or prophetic or whatever you want to say, but um, I was driving to a, an appointment, and I was on a throughway, and this woman helped these ducks to cross the throughway, mm. and it's so dangerous. But she did that to help these ducks. After my appointment, the foreshadowing is sort of raining and getting dark out. And I go to a Rite Aid and I pull in the parking lot and I walk into Rite Aid and there's all these people lined up in front of the plate glass window. And I look out to see what they were looking at. And it was a car in the parking lot in the rain. And there was like an eight to 10 year old boy standing in the parking lot um, talking to the the driver of the car so he was outside the driver of the car was inside the car and the window was down and you could see the adult yelling at this child and all of a sudden you see her grab his hair and start shaking his head and everyone beat feet from the window and I had my cell phone I said no time to call the police everyone ran from me Mm -hmm. and when I called the police the woman on the phone said well, I need to talk to another person to see if they say they saw the same thing you did. I had to chase somebody in the store and hand my phone and she didn't want to take it. I said, the police want to talk to you. And then when she was done talking to them, she scolded me. You shouldn't have gotten me involved in that. Oh, my God. And and this is this is very symbolic of society today. Yes. You know, we need people to protect pets, no doubt. But it's as if. Pets are more important and regarded more than children. Mm-hmm. And and Narquise Bradley, who, mm-hmm. you know, her situation, um, and one of her things that she told me, one of her sentiments was, you know, I feel encouraged because of Roe versus Wade, because 
Now they're saying that children are so important that even when in utero, their rights need to be honored. Then what is it then when that a child in utero has more rights than a child who exists and can speak his or her own wishes and they're still ignored? Mm-hmm. Oh, ex- exactly. Um, you know, my kids were ignored in court. The judge twisted their words. It's happening all over. And the the verse I was thinking of was in Luke, Luke 17, 12. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. And I, I like the picture that comes with it. Okay. You there's no the, mystery there. Yeah. And there's a shark coming at him. I think that's great. Unbelievable. Yeah. If I had witnessed that with you, I would have stayed with you. Said, yeah, give me the phone. I want to witness that. And besides, why why is she even asking for witness? She should just send the cops out. I know. And the people, that, that woman that scolded me for handing the phone to her, I said, you don't know what's out there. She goes, oh, no one will do anything anyway. <gasps> so you don't know. You don't know if there's cameras on any of those lights in the parking lot. You don't know. You got to report it so they can look into things. What a shame. People should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, there's there's really something wrong. And, and, and you know, the good needs to um, be stronger than the bad. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why I go back to. We have to do a role. We have to start showing up in the courts. We have to file these affidavits to the cases um, and really, really um, have the public start acting as the employer again. It's like the ju- the Commission of Judicial Conduct. They keep the discipline secret. Mm-hmm. But we're mm-hmm. the employer. Do you know of any situation where an employer is not allowed or permitted to see disciplinary um, information on their employees? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just think these judges have become so emboldened. They they don't care about what happens to your kid, but then they can go home to their families and sit at their dinner table and have a nice dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they just don't care about kids. They just really don't. Um, there's a website that my friend had, uh, he has going, it's called uh, childabusofjudges.com. And he's compiling names of judges and he regularly takes it to the FBI. Uh, I don't think they do too much with it. Yeah. Again, that's why the public has to actually be the activist. Mm -hmm. And he's trying so hard too. He's trying to, get them to acknowledge child psychological abuse. And, you know, people just don't want to do their jobs. Or they're crazed about things that are otherwise and less important, and then they're leaving children to the wind. Mm -hmm. And we can't have this going on. And, you know, even with your case and, I don't know what's going to happen with Narkees Golan's child. This is frightening. Right. 
And I think uh, for her case, there there was supposed to be um, a hearing on the 15th, and then I got canceled for everyone to attend. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I why would they cancel it? Um yeah. The the other thing I wanted to to talk about again, I keep going back to the court watching. That's okay, go ahead. Um so um historically court watching has been pretty covered in criminal matters because they let the media in a lot oftentimes. Um but when people are doing court watching, like I said earlier, they just go and they watch. Well, the judges will do dirty in front of you if you don't rock the boat and start filing your affidavits. Um, the other thing is, is to get access to the courts. Um, if you're just asking for access, you're only going to be given access to cases they don't care about. Mm. You're not going to get in on the controversial cases. You're not going to get in on the cases with the pedophiles seeking custody over the biological father. Mm -hmm. um, what you have, what I have done, and I just want to share, and people can come up with other um, assertive ways of getting access. But um, I email the um, chief administrative judge and the administrative judge and carbon copy that to the law clerk for the judge of the case. Um, and they do affirm the um, right of public access to the family courts. And in, in New York State, it's the Uniform Court Rules 205.4 that give uh, public access to family court cases. And when you're assertive like that and you carbon copy the chief judges and the, the chief administrative judges, it puts pressure on the local judge to allow you in the courtroom. And you also tell the judge in that same correspondence politely that if they don't allow your right of public access to the case, that you will file a non-party witness affidavit to the case to the effect that you were denied your right of public access. You got to get really assertive, not aggressive, not nasty. Don't call the judges, you know, um, foul names and what have you, because you'll implode your own court watching group in a minute. Um, you have to lead by the same professionalism and courteous treatment that you implore from your courts, but mm -hmm. be assertive and show you know the the rules and the laws and your rights of access, and carbon copy those people to put pressure on the judges to do the right thing, and that's how we get access to these very controversial cases that you know they don't want you watching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, they have a lot to hide, right? Yeah, you know, it's just. Why just why don't they just do the right thing and not drag these cases out? I, I know there's a lot of money involved. There's the, you know, the Title IV incentives. But but why make a child pay for this? Sometimes I think um, there's obviously, you know, first of all, as a physician assistant, when somebody says, well, why did this or that happen to me? And everyone kind of looks for one thing that is the um cause but it's usually not one thing that's the cause it's usually multifactorial um that causes a situation so you have to remember probably everyone listening to this you know our own little dirty secret is probably most of us don't drive just the speed limit mm -hmm. and so it's the same thing in the courts that there are little laws that sometimes they let go because it's just the same way how we drive our car but 
when it comes to the bigger issues, like I said, child welfare and those things, um, I think there's a there's obviously multifactorial reasons. Um, has to do with that U.S. Department of State report on human trafficking, June 2019. Most um, child sex trafficking comes from foster care and, and the money that's involved with that. But then because it's become so pedestrian, I think even um, judges or lawyers that go into the system with honest intentions um, become corrupted by the system because they feel powerless mm-hmm. among the many others that are doing this. And you either have to um, become, you know, beat them, you either have to beat them or join them and they end up joining them or they lose their license and they have to take care of their own family. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, like I said, some things are negligible things that they let go by because everyone does it just like kind of, we all drive over 55 or whatever the speed limit is. But, um, but the more important aspects, I think good people do go into law and become judges sometimes, but they feel powerless because everyone else does it too. And then they would lose their license if they stood up against this whole system. Mm-hmm. The only way to, um, counteract this i think again is the public going into the courts it has to be i also think some of these judges you know they get brainwashed well they get brainwashed when they go into you know law school yeah that's when it begins but i think it's worse yeah i think the same thing even happens with cps Mm-hmm. That um, the the dirty dirty people are probably the you know higher up people in CPS, and they teach the the new caseworkers, the naive caseworkers. This is how this is done. This is what this really means. Oh, mom's saying that their kids are sexually abused, and there's a divorce. You know, they're probably lying. Mm-hmm. You know, when research doesn't support that, but these naive caseworkers coming in, they believe what they're taught. Yeah. And that's why it's so problematic that my ex-husband was an attorney for Niagara County CPS and Nick D'Angelo was an attorney for Niagara County CPS because imagine all the things that they taught those caseworkers to do that they need to unteach. Or at some point, can we abolish CPS? Well, one thing I do say, and I do promote, um, is for people to be aware of the Family First Act of 2018. And nobody should be encouraged, no church should be encouraged, nobody should be encouraged to become a foster parent. Mm-hmm. Um, what should be encouraged is keeping children in the family. And if the parents aren't safe, the law is It's minimal intrusion by the government necessary to keep the kids safe. Mm -hmm. And so kids should be going to their family member, not a stranger in foster care that has such high rates of child sex trafficking Mm -hmm. and child abuse and child death. So the biggest thing is to know, to keep the kids in the family, know about the Family First Act, and know that by definition, a kinship family member can be is even a um, friend of the family. You don't even have to be a relative, just a good friend of the family, mm-hmm. even a godparent. You don't have to be a blood relative to keep the child technically in the family. Mm-hmm. 
And then the children grow up not having such abandonment issues because they can have some access, whatever it is, at a level minimum necessary to keep the children safe. Mm. And that's what should be happening. Research, research shows that children do better in their family. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, CPS begins an alienating process really quickly when they take these kids out of even good fit homes. Right. Yeah. It's, it's gaslighting, brainwashing. Yes. Teaching the child that their parents didn't love them, that you're mm-hmm. safe for not talking to your parent. Um, and there are those horrific cases where that may be true. Um, but again, they're still breaking the laws when they take kids out of the family and put them into the care of strangers. Mm. By law, they are to, if they're going to remove a child from a family, before they remove the child from the family, they are to extinguish a search for any suitable family member before they put the child into stranger care. And if the situation progresses to a termination of parental rights, they're supposed to, again, do another search. Mm for a suitable family member before they adopt the children out to strangers. Yet they they do the opposite. They don't do that. Yeah. And um, uh, the funds for that, I think, have been uh, misappropriated. And um, so there's still the greater financial Mm -hmm. incentive is from that 19, was it 1997? um, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. The federal... Title for federal family, federal funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bill Clinton, he'll, they signed that into there. Uh, that's just terrible. Yep. The Adoption and Safe Families Act, I think they called it. Yep. The sex trafficking from child uh, protective services and foster care is so bad that um, in 2014, they created the prevention of sex trafficking and i think that was also prevention of sex trafficking and safe families act i think that was the name of that one also um that is to mandate cps to notify the police if a child goes missing from foster care so they created an act for people to follow the law that they were supposed to follow in the first place oh my god but it's so pathetic because after that act was um initiated in 2014 from 2013 to 2019, the reports of missing children from foster care went up 351%. And probably most people listening to your show right now probably never knew of that act from 2014. And probably most social workers don't know of that act. So that it went up 351% shows how bad the sex trafficking is from foster care and the missing children that go unreported. Well, even in Missouri, close to a thousand kids missing, and um, I don't even know if the FBI looked. Right, and when you when you hear um, victims of this that grow up and come forward, that's what they say that they they were hardly looked for, and in some states they only have to look for six months if they look. If they look, because these are throwaway kids. Mm-hmm. Tell, could you please tell me the name of that act of 2014 again? 
2014 was, I think it's prevention of um, sex trafficking and safe families act. I think, but I know okay. it's definitely starts with prevention of sex trafficking and it was 2014. Okay. I can send you the literature on it and I can send you the literature from missing and exploited children. How from 2013 to 19 that the reports went up 351%. Because I can take those links and put them in the podcast notes as well. Sure. Yeah. Because you know, talking about this and educating people and you know, because of COVID, they put Zoom in place in these courtrooms. And that's how this court watching evolved much quicker. Yeah, they, you know, um, there are some blessings from COVID, believe right. it or not. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I found even in, in New York State, um, for our court watching, the judges we're not in support of um, releasing Zoom links for people to court watch, <laughs> but but even when they did Zoom and they thought they were going to get out of court watchers, um, the judges were made to allow us into the courtroom and sit in the courtroom while the judge sat behind the bench and watched the Zoom on the screens. We were there watching the screens too. So they never were able to get out of court watching. Mm -hmm. Well, it has to be. Now we're going to have now our um, now our chief judge and our chief administrative judge have both stepped down. Um, Janet De Fiore stepped down, a, a, um, I think, late August, and um, Lawrence Marks, the chief administrative judge, just a few days ago announced his resignation. So, in New York State, I'm hopeful that the next um, judges will be more supportive of um, of virtual court watching because it is accepted in other states. Mm -hmm. And the precedent is already set that our appellate courts do their hearings on webcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Their oral arguments are in webcast. So that precedent is set. And, and not only are those webcasts um, daily, but they're memorialized and you can search them. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember probably about maybe 20 years ago or so, you could turn on a TV channel that just covered court cases. Yeah. Like, whatever Judge happened to that? It just Yeah. Well, we still got Judge Judy. <laughs> yes. Thank God for her, you know. And she was saying something about the family court judges being, you know, the idiots. I can't, uh, what was her quote? Um, <laughs> it was. It wasn't good, but. Yeah, you know, she described them accurately. A dumping ground for it, morons. That's what it was. A dumping ground for morons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but, um, but yeah, I just, you know, to, as we're kind of tidying up here, um, you know, to get your, when you, when you get in a situation like this and getting your kids back, you have to fight. Mm -hmm. And you um, have to fight so hard. It's like convincing somebody to give you a million dollars back. Mm -hmm. That's how hard you have to fight. That's how much you need to learn the law. That's how much you have to stick up for yourself and strong you need to be when people are pressuring you to cow down. Mm -hmm. But when you do that, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. My case is ever improving. Mm -hmm. So... Okay. 
there, so there's, there's hope. hope. Right. There's hope. It's not the easy answer. It's not mm -hmm. like you make this one phone call to this agency and bada bing, or your night and shining hour comes and hands you your kids back. But if you fight for your kids and you're diligent and you learn the law and you stick to it and you stick to your guns, you can get places. Most definitely. Now, before we part, how can people reach you? Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, regionally, I I have the Erie Niagara Dishonorable Honorables Facebook group, but I also do Hope for Children, so I'm the administrator for both. I'm a moderator on Be Loud State Watchers, and um, I also have for our court watching group, I have um, the Lock Keeper Court Watchers. The Lock Keeper Court Watchers is a private group you can ask to join. Um, and I'm going to obviously, by the way, speak of the importance of court watching. Um, I'm going to start working on that site more um, and doing presentations to teach people how to start doing this in their own community um, mm -hmm. and how to file the non-party witness affidavits, how to communicate with the court to get in on the difficult cases, the controversial cases, and how to make a difference in your community for children. Excellent. Thank you so much for your you know, time to come on here and explain all this to people. It's very important. So I'd like to have you back on as a guest again. Sure, sure. Yes, and, and keep us updated on your case and other things that you see while court watching. But uh, don't jump off. Slam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Stacy in the future and other exciting guests. Thank you again. Thank you.